Okay. Okay. All right. Wow. Oh, man. All right. So, you know, one of the things about Christmas that always rem that is always reminded to me. Uh, so every time my kids fight, I'm reminded of Christmas. And this is the reason why. You know when you have kids and you hear the crash in the other room, right? And then you go into the other room and you have two siblings staying there and they both go, they, it was them, right? And so what we, we always do is we would take one outside of the room and we'd say, okay, tell us your story. And they would tell us their story. And so we'd say, okay, you go back, take the other one out, tell us your story. And then we figure out, okay, who actually did it, right? Because we would listen in and we would see their, their different stories that they would give us. And then we would go, okay, so here are the similarities. This is what is being said. This is what they're talking about. And so this is actually what happened. And usually it's the boy. So, um, so he's the one that gets in trouble. So, but... When we're trying to know a story, you really need as much information as possible. And a lot of times when we talk about the Christmas story, we, we, uh, we read it in parts, right? We'll read it out of Matthew, and then we'll read it out of Luke. And then, you know, we'll just, and we'll switch back and forth, and we don't really see the whole of the picture of Christmas. And so one of the big things about Christmas, what I like, is seeing the whole picture, seeing the whole thing all together. And so that's what we're going to do today, is we're going to actually look at the whole picture of Christmas. And before we get into that, though, uh, let's give ourselves up to speed, because we're actually in a Christmas series, right? This is a three-part Christmas series that we're calling the Three Lights of Christmas. And last week, we talked about the first light of Christmas, which was, anyone remember? Prophecy. Hey, man, you do better than teenagers. All right. Um, so prophecy was our last week. So we talked about that through God's prophetic word, we see the build-up to Christmas, right? We see him talk about, and so we looked at three sections of prophecy. And the first one was the who and the to whom prophets, uh, prophecies out of the book of Isaiah. And we talked about the baby boy Jesus, and we talked about the virgin mother Mary, right? And so we talked about the who and the to whom. And so then we talked about the kingly visitors, right? And we talked about the Magi and all the different prophecies surrounding them. So not just them, but certain aspects that were going on. The star, the, the killing of the children, you know, um, so be careful, kids. Um, and so all these different things that surrounded the kingly visitors. And then we talked about the lineage prophecies, those prophecies that focused in on Jesus and not only the family, but also the tribe and the nation, right? And we talked about those things. And so we talked about all this build up to Christmas. And today we're going to talk about, so that was the, the precursor, and now we're going to talk about the event, okay? And that event is what we're going to call the revealing, all right? The revealing candle, the revealing light. And so we, last week, we gave out these, and you probably have them in your bulletin, and so that first week, we're doing our arts and crafts for the, for the Christmas season. 
Last week I gave out these, and then I said, just put down prophecy or color it the way you want. And then I made up these little things. And this week, it, yes, it is different. Last week it was gold, and this week it is red. Um, and so different lights for different candles. See, I, I have some thought into this. Um, and then some people say, well, I'm just going to color it anyways. And I said, thank you for letting me waste my time. Um, and so, but no, that's fine. You can do whatever you want. This is your arts and craft. You know, don't, don't worry about, don't worry about my feelings. Um, and so, but this is what a part of our challenge is, right? It's to, to put these up. And then we talked about the challenge last week was to, every time we see this is to praise God, to praise God for his word that he spoke beforehand and that it came true. So he is true to his word. Oh, can I see that? Someone brought theirs. Our, our flutist, is that right? Look at this. This is nice. And she used that, so thank you. Um, but isn't that nice? You too could do this. I couldn't do it, but someone could. So, but, so that's what we're talking about. And the reason why we're doing this is it's a fun way to remind us, as a reminder this season, of what God has done through the Christmas story. And so... That's what we're talking about. So today, what we're going to do is, on your outlines, I give you all the verse references. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to give you a, a paraphrase of the Christmas story. All right? It's going to be up there, and I think, I think we moved pretty good, right? Um, so, but you might be writing a lot real quick, okay? So give it to the person next to you that's a fast writer, and we'll go through the Christmas story, all right? And so, here's the Christmas story as it's told through the Scriptures when we take bo both witnesses of the Christmas story and put it together. First off, what we need to realize is the Christmas story, when we talk about it, usually people think it's a one-day event. And it's not. It's about a, at least a two-year event. Okay, at the very least a two-year event. And so, it starts out here. It starts out two-plus years, maybe it's... Two, you know, the star appears, and it either appears two years beforehand or right at the birth. So somewhere, two years, okay? We're talking this two-year span. And this is where the star appears, and the Magi see it, and they interpret it as, okay, this is a prophecy of a king out of Judah, out of the tribe of Israel. And so they prepare, and they leave to go to Israel. Okay, to go to the land which this star is supposed to lead them. And so they follow this star. And this starts the story. We fast forward and we go to, let's say, about nine months. Okay, roughly. And Gabriel appears to Mary. Gabriel appears, and then we actually talked about this in our, in our teen class this morning. And he appears and he, he brings good tidings, but Mary is kind of confused. He comes and says, guess what, Mary? You're going to be pregnant with the Savior of the world. And she says, yeah, what? <laughs> and she, said, she says, how can this be? Right? Because I'm a virgin. Well, we already talked about that, right? Because this is a fulfillment of Scripture. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. And so he says, don't worry. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. God's going to do this. And he actually says... This is something Jesus will, will say eventually. He says, with God, nothing's impossible. You know, he's, he's referencing the fact that her, her 
um, relative, Elizabeth, is, was supposed to be barren, supposed to be too old to have a kid, and yet she did. And so with God, the things that are going to happen are possible. Now she accepts this, and this is a huge thing that we can't underscore enough. One, she accepts this huge responsibility. I mean, think about this. If you were told your son is going to be the most important person in the world, how would you treat that kid? You know? I treat my kids like, get out there. You know? Like, you're important to me, but stop, uh, stop you know, bothering me. <laughs> right? I love them, I care for them, but to know that they would be the great, it's like, how, put that into perspective of what that would, what the things you would do to make sure that that child is okay. Make, you know, they stub their foot, they, you know, scrape their knee. But it's, it's even more than that because here she is. She's engaged, but this child is just going to happen What's the community going to say? What's the family going to say? And so here she is, and she's taking on this responsibility. She says, okay. What next? Right? So she says, let, let it be. And then we fast forward. Right? I would say probably like six months. You know, so somewhere. Now we're, we're getting from nine to one month. Somewhere in that time frame. Right? Joseph finds out. This is her fiancé, her husband to really be. He finds out, and he decides, okay, I'm just going to divorce her to end the relationship quietly because he knows what's going to happen. If he's public about it, she's probably dead. So if he says, okay, you know what? I don't want her to die. There's a lot of love here that we have to recognize from Joseph. That Joseph is saying, you know, I don't want her to be killed, so I'll, we'll do this quietly. And then the angel comes. And so the angel comes in the dream and says, Joseph, don't do that. This is from God. Because, you know, if I could just picture, this is just me picturing it. Mary's saying, you know, I'm, I'm a child. And the first thing Joseph's saying is, you cheated, right? You broke our marriage covenant. The thing that we were going to be, you decided to, to get rid of. And now you're blaming it on God. You know, and he still says, you know, I'm just going to do this quietly. And so, but then the angel comes and says, no, this is from God. This is Jesus. Take Mary as your wife. And so what does he do? He does. He does it. This is huge for him too because in his society, this would be an ostracism too. You're taking this unwed mother. She should not be with you and yet you're doing this. And so she, he takes her into his house and yet it says he doesn't do anything with her. And then we fast forward and there's a, a call for a census to be taken. And everyone has to return to their hometown, their ancestral home, and, and go to this to get counted in, the, in this region. And so Joseph is not from Nazareth, or his family's not from Nazareth originally, so they have to go down to Bethlehem. 
And so here he goes. He takes his wife, who is very pregnant, and he takes her on this journey down to his hometown. Now, ladies, how would you like to make that trip? I mean, this is not in a car. This is on the back of a camel, right, or a back of a, a donkey, okay? And I love, like, I just saw this this picture on the internet, and it was Mary and Joseph and the donkey, and she's on the donkey, and he's leading her, and they're in Bethlehem, and he says, I'm sorry, honey, I didn't make reservations. And she says, it's fine. Now, if you know what that means, it's not fine, Right? But this is just a little joke. But here they come, right? She's very pregnant. They come into this place, and there's nowhere for them to sleep. There's no place, no nice warm place. She's pregnant, and he can't find a place. So what happens? They go into the stable. And it's there that she gives birth. And so she gives birth in this stable. And you could just imagine the, the situation. And for those of you that grew up around animals, you could just imagine... The, the situation. And so they, they have this baby. And what happens later? He gets born. And then out in the fields, we're told that angels show up to the shepherds. And they start praising God and saying, the Messiah is born. And they start saying, peace to men. God's favor is here. And they're inviting the shepherds to come see this newborn king. And so the shepherds are terrified, but very interested, and they go, and they go into the stable, and they see Jesus, and they're astounded, and they leave praising God. And they go around, and they start praising God throughout all of Bethlehem, and then they come back and sit with the child, however long that is. But we do know that eight days later, Mary and Joseph take Jesus up to Jerusalem. To be, to be consecrated, to be, um, to be circumcised, to be anointed to God. Because this is what you do with your first child. Your first son, he needs to be dedicated to God. And so they take him up there. And they enter in the temple. And there's this person there, his name's Simeon. And when the family enters the temple, Simeon sees him and grabs the baby picks him up and starts singing a psalm to God about how this is the Savior of the world. And, and a little backstory behind Simeon, God had told them, you will see the Messiah. So this is a huge thing for Simeon. It's his whole life, this is a monumental moment. He sees this baby entering the temple, and here is the Messiah. But not just him, there's another, there's a woman named Anna, she's 84 years old, she's a prophetess, and she sees this, and she starts praising God. So ladies, don't worry, if you're not 84 years old, you've got prophetess ahead maybe, I don't know. Uh, God's going to use you. you know, don't worry, there's no old people in God's kingdom, okay? And so, but here's this, here's this moment in the temple where God is being praised. And here's this Jesus. And then this is how you know, they leave. And we don't know the time frame after. All we know is they return to Bethlehem and that they move into a house. And this is how I always picture it because this is just in my own mind. I, I kind of picture Mary and Joseph leaving Jerusalem as this caravan comes in. 
But all we know is that there's a caravan that eventually arrives in Jerusalem. And it's the Magi. And they're coming in. And they're seeking the Messiah. They're seeking this King, but they don't know where. All they know is there's a star and we were supposed to come. So they go to Herod. He's the king. So they go to him and say, okay, where is this king supposed to be born? Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? And he doesn't know. And so he calls the scribes, those religious people that know the scriptures, he calls them in and says, where is the king supposed to be? And they tell him, in Bethlehem. And they point to the specific prophecy that it's supposed to be in this specific Bethlehem. And so Herod tells them, look, he tells the Magi, you guys go ahead, you find the child, come back, tell me so I may go and worship him. And so the Magi leave, and they go to Bethlehem, they're shown the exact spot by the star, and they come in with their gifts, and they worship him. They worship Christ, and they give him the gifts, and we know the gifts of gold, incense, incense, and myrrh, or frankincense and myrrh, and all these are very kingly, right? They're very kingly gifts, and yet they speak of greater things that Jesus is going to do. They speak of his, his, his priestliness, his, his kingship, and his death. And so they're very prophetic in their own right. But they bring these things, they worship before him, and then they leave. But as they leave, they're told by an angel, don't go back to Herod. In fact, take this other route. And so they do. They take a different route. And what's this do to Herod? It enrages him. Because his whole goal was to find that one child and kill him. Because the child is from the true dynasty, is from the true line of kings of, Egypt, of Israel. That he is the, from the Davidic line. And that scares Herod. Because he, he's not. He's not from that line. In fact, he's outside of Israel altogether. He was brought in by the Romans. He's a puppet king as far as the Israelites are concerned. He has no claim to the throne. So if they had this other king, that would be really bad for Herod. So Herod says, you know what, I'll just kill them all. So he sends out to kill all the boys under two years old because that's the time frame the Magi gave him. All of the boys under two years old are going to be killed in Bethlehem and in the surrounding areas. And this is where the angel comes to Joseph and says, you need to leave. You need to go to Egypt. Fulfilling another prophecy that we didn't even get to last week. But so Joseph takes this stuff, takes this, these treasures and, and goes to Egypt. And then later on we find out Herod dies. And so the angel says, okay, now it's okay to come back. And so they go to Nazareth. And then the story continues when he grows. He starts his public ministry, goes to the cross, dies for our sins, and is resurrected. But that point is the Christmas story. This is, so when we see it all together, these two witnesses of Christmas, this is the Christmas story. Put in its rough place. And you know what's interesting? When you start looking at the whole story as a complete story, you start noticing some things. There were people called to Bethlehem. And none of them really called 
and knew what was really going on, right? The Magi knew that they were supposed to go this direction. They knew that the king was born and he's in this direction. But it took some time for them to figure out it was in Bethlehem. Joseph and Mary, I know Mary, when she was probably younger, never thought that this is how her life would go. She never probably thought one day in her life that, yeah, someday I'm going to carry the Savior of the world. Probably never even crossed her mind. Joseph probably never got into the situation where he's like, yeah, I would like to have a child that's not mine. Right? He probably never was in that situation. But yet God used them and brought them to Bethlehem just like he did with the Magi. Just like he did with the shepherds. You think the shepherds were out in the field that night going, man, I can't wait till the angels show up. You know? Because they didn't, because it said they were frightened. You know, and so they weren't expecting it. Now, Simeon was actually expecting something. But he didn't know when or where or what. He was just waiting until Jesus showed up. And then Anna was there. And she noticed and she recognized the immensity of this moment. And so you have these people coming together and they're being brought into specific places at specific times that God's bringing them together. But what's also interesting about the story when you look at it as a whole, there are things that are missing too. The big thing are the scribes. They knew where the Messiah was. There was people on the way to go see them, to go see the Messiah, and yet they didn't go. They stayed behind. They stayed in Jerusalem when others were going to Bethlehem. When others were seeking the Messiah, those who knew where to find the Messiah just stayed back and hung back. It's interesting because we get some motivation as to why they might do that. And this comes from Matthew chapter three, no, chapter two, verse three. Okay, the Magi show up and they're seeking. They're seeking the Messiah. Where is he supposed to be? And they tell Herod, "We saw the star, and we're seeking after the King of the Jews." Okay, so where is he? And this is the response we we get in Matthew two three. When, the, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Why didn't they go see Jesus? Well, it's because they were disturbed. And you start thinking about, why would they be disturbed? And the reality is, there's so much. Because think about it. When you start thinking about where Jerusalem is, Jerusalem is an up-and-coming city. It's a pretty nice city. You know, it might not be as nice as Rome, but it's still becoming a nice city. You have this group that we really don't talk a lot about. You know, we talk about the Pharisees a lot, but there's another group called the Sadducees. And they're kind of like, they're the ones that want the Roman world. You know, they want to be the cool kids. They want to be the ones that have the, the newest stuff, the, the, the Roman stuff. They want to follow the Roman ways. They're Jews, but they want to follow. They're, they're called Hellenized. And so there are these Hellenized Jews that want to be like the Greeks, that want to be like these, these world-renowned type of people. And when you think about cities today, we can look at like Phoenix or you know Vegas or LA and you think about these cities and you go, man, I don't if I don't have to go there, I don't want to. 
right? And when you go there, it's like you got to be on your guard, right? It just feels that way. I always, <laughs> I have this bag that I always take everywhere, um, but I always, I make sure I take it when I go out of town. And it just has a bunch of stuff in it. Um, it has um, like, like some candy bars. There's a, a little medical pouch in it. There's about 200 rounds of 9mm. There is, um, you know, and I just carry this bag around just in case, you know. Um, but, you know, you go into cities and it's like, you know, this is, it's different here. It feels different. Um, and that's why a lot of people come to the rural areas. But this is Jerusalem. Jerusalem is not what it should be. And later on in Jesus' life, he actually goes into the temple, right? And he runs people out of it because they've made it into something that it's not. They've made it, he calls it a, a house of dens, right? A, a den of thieves, sorry. A den of thieves. Because this is Jerusalem. And so we can understand why these people are disturbed because this Jesus, this king would be overthrowing everything. And really when we think about that, when, when we encounter Jesus the way He wants to be encountered, on His terms, it will disturb us. No matter where we are. If we don't believe in Jesus, it's going to disturb us to see what Jesus says. If we believe in Jesus, it should disturb us to see some of the things that Jesus says. Because my desire, my sin says, I want this, and Jesus says, No. And it's like, okay, Jesus, well, I have, to, I have to give that to you, right? If I want to follow Jesus, I have to say, okay, this is yours. It's not mine. And it can be disturbing because it's like, but I want this. I like this. And Jesus is like, says, yeah, but I have better. I have better for you. And so it's okay to be disturbed as long as you seek the Savior, but if you're just disturbed and stay in Jerusalem, then you're just disturbed. Because you don't want the change. You don't want the things that you would have to do to encounter Jesus. And this is really the, the plight of humanity. To really go to Bethlehem means to engage with Jesus. And to engage with Jesus means to be transformed by Him. And the easiest way not to do that is not even go there. It's just to stay in Jerusalem. I mean, I've had conversations with people that will say, well, you know, Jesus said this. I said, really? Do you know where that's found? And they go, well, no, not exactly. I said, well, let's, let's look. I have the Bible app. Let's look. And I said, no, I don't have time for that. Well, because we don't want to go to Bethlehem. We don't want to actually meet the Savior. Because if we met the Savior, we would have to be transformed. We would have to be changed. And this is the thing. When Jesus says things like in John where, he's like, where He says, I am the light of the world. You know, the worst thing is when you're asleep and someone flips on the light. Because that's disturbing. Right? You get disturbed because it's like... Right? And when you're in the dark, you know, you try to fumble your way through. So this morning, I, I get up before my family, and I'm going through. I open my door, and it's like total blackness, right? Except for this one little spot where it's deep blackness. And I'm like, what is that? 
and I get closer, it's my dog. He's, he's completely black, and he's just like in the middle of my walking path. And I'm like, what is this? I'm like, oh, hi. Good boy. You know, and then I go into the bathroom, and I, you know, I'm getting ready. And all of a sudden, I hear this dum, 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 dum. I'm like, what is that? And so I flip on the light, you know, because I, I, you know, just got in there, and I, you know, try not to flip on any lights to wake up anyone. And so I, I flip on the light, and here's this paw from my cat hitting the door underneath, you know. And it's like I disturbed my animals because I was walking through and, you know, doing stuff. But here's the thing. When Jesus says, I'm the light, that means that if we follow him, we're going to be in the light, right? That means all the things come into the light. One of the things that we talk about is every, when you, if, you, if we turn off all the lights in here, it gets pretty dark, and we put a candle in the middle of the room, okay, and we all got to the sides. Maybe one day we'll do this. Have a fun time. Okay? We get to the sides, and we just put the candle in the middle of the room. Now, you're going to see some stuff on you, right? But as you get closer to the light, what happens? You see more. And this is really what happens with Christ. He is the light. And every time I step a little closer to him, I see a little bit more. And I see his grace even more because the sin I carry that he has forgiven me, he saw it. And I didn't, and yet he still loved me. And in his light, there is no darkness. And so, this amazing thing, but guess what? That, that can be disturbing when confronted with sin. You know, there's sin in my life that I've carried for years. And God will one day say, you know what? Let's deal with that. Let's deal with that thing now. And it's like, yeah, but God, it's like a blanket, you know, that, that comfort. I feel comfort doing this. And it's like, yeah, but you're following me. And it's disturbing as God breaks me of it. But then it's like, I'm, I'm free. You know, he says, I am the bread of life. That means that he sustains us, that only in him can we be sustained. And when we come to him... And he said some crazy stuff. You start reading in John, and he says, eat in my flesh, right? And, and the people around him go, that's weird. And it's a hard teaching, because what he's saying is, you've got to come to me. You have to be sustained by me. Because outside of me, there's no sustaining. You, you know, you go hungry. And really, I, I, I feel that. When I'm, when I'm not following Jesus... When I'm like, you know what, God, I just want to do my own thing. I feel that hunger because I realize this, this isn't fulfilling. You know, I talked with the teenagers. Um, I don't know when it was, either Friday or today. I think it was Friday. We were talking about what sin is. And sin's that thing, no, it was today. Um, that, um, sin is that thing that looks good for a moment. It feels good for a moment. But you keep needing more and more sin in order to fulfill that thing. But with God, it's constant filling. It's, no, this is sustained. And it just becomes 
more delicious as I get to know Jesus. And then he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is a hard teaching because that means any other way, any other life, any other way, any other truth is not the right way. And that's really hard for us because I'll tell you this, I like to do my own thing. I like to, you know, I have certain things I like and I like to do them. And there's a lot of habits that God says, you know what, that's not my way. You got to do my way. And it's like, yeah, but this way is fun and it's easy and I really like it. And God's like, yeah, try my way. Let's do this. We're going to do this now, Jeremiah. Come over here. And there have been times when God's like, you don't get a say. You're being pulled onto this way. So I'm going to force you over here. And I, I feel like we used to do this with our, our boy. And when he was about uh, two, we would go on trips. And we would do a lot of like crowd, like places where a lot of crowds were. So we used to have this little monkey that we would put on, or a dog, I can't remember now. Um, but it was a, bat, a little backpack. And on the end of that was a leash. And it would be connected to his backpack. And so wherever he would want to go, I could just, you know, and just bring him back. And I had people say, well, that's kind of mean. I'm like, well, what's, what's worse, me doing this or him going off and being lost? Like, what's worse? At least here, I can see him and make sure that he's always with me, you know? It's not like, a, and people act like it's like a choke chain, you know? Like, it's not. It's just a little backpack. Now he's a, getting to be a teenager. I like that choke chain. Just, you know? Um, get him. And sometimes it feels like that's what God does to me. It's like, hey, get over here. But this is the thing. It's his way. It's not my way. It's his life. It's not my life. It's his truth. It's not my truth. And in our society, it's the exact opposite. We want our way. You know, you have jingles that talk about that. Have it your way, right? Our life, live your own life. And my truth. This is our society. It's the exact opposite. Jesus disturbs. That's what it does. And the easiest way to stay away from that is to stay in Jerusalem. Don't go to Bethlehem. Yet that's what Christmas calls us to. Come to Bethlehem. Encounter the Savior. Even if you're disturbed. Because only in Him is there life. Only in Him can we be satisfied. And so, so this, whole, this whole thing, when we do, we will only have two choices. Either accept Him as Savior or reject Him. But one leads to eternal life with Him. And one leads to eternal rejection. Our rejection of Him and His saying, go your own way. And that, you know, people, one of the things, and I talked to this about with the teenagers, one of the things people don't realize is Jesus talked a lot about hell because He understood the eternal perspective of what's going on. If God didn't care how we made the choice, He would never have shown up. He would never have taken the time. And in fact, He's the only God. If you take every single belief system in the world, every single one of them says, you got to make it there 
on your own. You've got to get there. Work. Strive. Do it by trial. You've got to make it there. But the God of the Bible says, I come to you. This is Emmanuel, God with us. This is God stepping down, wrapping Himself in human flesh, walking to the cross, dying for us, and then resurrecting saying, see, it was real. Because a lot of people can die and say, I'm dying for your sins. So only one person showed it by resurrecting. And that's Christmas. The God come down to disturb the world to save those who would, that would come to Him. And so my challenge for you this week is twofold. The first part of it is I want to challenge you to read John 1-14. through 14, okay? I've referenced it today. Uh, those are the I Am passages. They're, they're in those chapters. Okay? But I want to challenge you to read one chapter a day. If you start today, you'll end on Christmas. Okay? And I love these chapters. I love, this is how I always, when someone goes, okay, you know, what are different Gospels, different books about Jesus' life, what, what's the difference? This is how I describe it. Matthew is, Jesus is the Messiah that the Jews were waiting for. Like, that the Scripture spoke about. Okay, maybe not the ones they were waiting for at that time or the political side, but that the Scriptures talked about to get. And so Matthew really pushes, here's all where Jesus lines up. Here's where all the prophecies are fulfilled of the Jewish Messiah. Mark is answering, basically, this is a lot, but trying to, like, right, put down into simple things. Mark is answering one question. Who do you say I am? So Mark leads up to it, and then Mark leads to the cross. Once that question is answered. Luke is giving you this big historical view. He's telling you about Jesus from his birth. He's the one that gives us his teenage years um, into his ministry. And then we get the second volume, which is the Acts, the first you know, generation of believers. And so you get this huge historical two-volume set, right? And then you come to John, and it's almost like John looks at it and says, okay, we got the, we got the story. You, you got the story. Let me tell you about Jesus. And he gives us these very personal encounters with Jesus. Nicodemus, the woman at the well, the woman um, that anointed his feet, these very intimate moments with Jesus. And so in these chapters, we see those very intimate moments, engaging the Savior, meeting who He says He is on His terms. And this is the only way to meet Jesus, is to be on His terms and not our own. And so that's the first part. The second part is our candle. And it's putting the revealing on, it's putting the light on, and then this week... Praising God for the story of Christmas. Asking God, God, is there something in my life that needs to be disturbed so that I can be more in conformed to the image of the Son? What, what is there? Lord, disturb me in some way. Bring me closer to You. 
And also, I would ask that you pray for those that are stuck in Jerusalem. Those who are disturbed at the very thought of Jesus, but they're not wanting to encounter Him. Pray that God would disturb them to the point where he, that they encounter Him. That the Holy Spirit convicts them to take Jesus seriously. And then, again, put this where you can see it. And every time you say, praise God, pray for disturbance, and pray for those who are disturbed. Because what is Christmas? Right? But the Savior, God Himself, coming to earth, wrapping Himself in our flesh, walking the perfect life that we were supposed to live, but we can't. Dying a death that is undeserving for Him, but it's a self-sacrifice, it's a death we should have done, and even then it wouldn't work because we can't pay for our own sin. The debt's too high. But Jesus did it. He lived the perfect life. And now we're, anyone, anyone who puts their trust in Jesus will be saved. Not because of anything we do, but because everything Jesus did. And then He signed, sealed, and delivered it by His resurrection and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? The story doesn't end with Christmas. You know, a lot of times we go, and that's the end, right? But it's not. There's still more. In fact, that's what we're going to talk about next week. The aftermath of Christmas. Because you know where it does end? No. No. On the clouds. When He returns. That's where this ends. And a new adventure, a new story begins. And I can't wait for that. Let's play. Pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father. We're going to play in eternity too. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. I thank you for your people. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the, the prophecies that you gave us, the, the people, the places, everything that you've done to, to bring Jesus to us. I thank you. Jesus, I thank you for being that willing to coming down to us, to, to walking with us, to living with us, to doing everything with us except sinning. And thank you, Lord, for that. Because of your, of your perfection, of your sinless nature, you were able to die for us. And so, Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for the grace, because we can't do it, that you give it to us as a free free gift and lord if anyone in here doesn't know that lord that you would use christmas to wrap your arms around them to bring them to bethlehem to encounter the savior lord we thank you because there's no one else nowhere else to turn and so lord we lift up we lift up those that are hurting from the tornadoes lord we lift them up to you lord people that are hurting in our town we lift them up to you across this, the, this nation, this world, we lift them up to You because there is no one else that we can turn. And Lord, I pray that this, during this Christmas time that You, you raise up your, your saints, Your people, raise them up to be Your hands and feet, to love others, to show that love and that peace that came from Christmas to the people around us. So Lord, I thank You. We praise you because you are worthy of our praise. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.